Welcome to the well. Uh, my name is Ben Post, and I am one of the, the campus ministers here. And this semester, we are studying the story of the Old Testament. So we have 12 Sundays together here in the Cook DeWitt, and we're going to kind of highlight 12 stories along the, the timeline of the story of the Old Testament. So last week, we started with the story of creation, Genesis chapters 1 through 3. And we also started this idea of each week we're having artists uh, give some sort of picture of the teaching. I want to turn your attention over here. And you should come take a look at these nice and close sometime tonight. These are amazing. So our friends Janine and Seth, let's give it up for Janine and Seth. These are awesome. If you have gifts uh, similar to that, which I do not have, and are interested in creating some sort of art piece to go along with the teachings, come talk to me afterwards. We'd love to add you to, to one of the, the weekly artist opportunities. Uh, the other thing that we're doing, since we can't really cover all of the Old Testament in only 12 sessions, we're doing a read through the Bible, read through the Old Testament reading schedule throughout the week. So... 10 o'clock in the morning and 3 o'clock in the afternoon here in the Cook to Wit. Somebody is leading a, a reading to go through this little reading plan right here. So anybody do that this past week? Come to the Cook to Wit and read the Bible together? Awesome. Well done. I heard that there was a group of people who did it while hammocking uh, in the ravines yesterday. So that's pretty awesome too. There's lots of ways to do that. So uh, every Monday through Friday, 10 o'clock in the morning or 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Anytime this week or next week, not tomorrow, the building's going to be closed. Sorry about that, but come check us out on Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or Friday, 10 o'clock or 3 o'clock. Um, this season of life, college, is filled with many big decisions, right? Some of the decisions that you're facing right now are what major to pursue, or do I or do I not enter in this relationship, or what about this job or this internship, or these questions about the future, right? There's a lot of really big decisions that many of you are facing like right now. What I want to do is I want you to turn to the person next to you and share briefly about a time when you had to make a difficult decision sometime in your life, whether it's when you were here in college or when you were a little kid, some difficult decision you had to make in your life. What did it cost you? What did you have to leave behind? What was difficult? Why was that a difficult decision to make? Ready? Go.
Okay, why don't you come on back up here? Come on back. Uh, I want to hear some of these stories later tonight out in the, the lobby afterwards. So I'm going to be asking some of you what your answer was. Um, Stacy and I have been married for seven and a half years, and that's pretty awesome. This is year six for us here at Grand Valley, so that's pretty fun. We like being here. Before we were married, we were both on Young Life staff, okay? So we were both on Young Life staff in different cities. We sort of knew of each other, but we weren't really friends. In 2004, we had an opportunity to go on uh, a trip to Israel, a two-week study tour to Israel. We both signed up for that trip, and that's when we became friends, okay? So we became friends in 2004 on this trip. 2005, Stacy had another opportunity to go on another trip. She went on that. Shortly after that trip, I called her up and said, hey, how was the trip? I want to know all about it. And her response was, hey, I'm thinking about moving to Jerusalem to go study for two years. Do you want to come? And my immediate answer was, yeah, I do, actually. So long story short, Stacy and I are just friends, and we both really felt this compelled call to go live and study in Jerusalem. And we loved our jobs, we loved what we were doing, we really felt called to go do that. And it was a very difficult uh, decision for us. We ended up trying to raise some money and we ended up selling like everything we owned. I sold my car, I sold my bed, I sold my dresser, just try to sell like everything that we can so that we can actually do this thing. Trusting that, hoping that this is really what God was asking us to do. So that was in June of 2006. By October we were dating, by January we were engaged, and by June of 2007, we flew home, got married, and then five days later, flew back to Jerusalem for a year or two of a master's program. So there's, there's our story for you. I want to show you, I want to show you a picture. This is me and Stacy. This is our very first night in Jerusalem. We were like, I don't know what just happened. I've never actually stepped foot in Jerusalem before that moment. And we're like, all right, well, I guess we're trying to figure out what this means here. But somehow God called us to go do this thing that, in my mind, seemed crazy. And it required a great deal of faith. I had family, I had friends, I had a good job, and now I'm moving to the other side of the world, and I feel like this is what God's calling me to do. Sometimes when we are asked to do things, it requires risk. Sometimes it's a bigger risk than others. Maybe the risk is just trying to figure out how to stand up and be a little bit more bold in your faith in the classroom. Tonight, we want to look at the story of Abram. Abram is Abraham before his name was changed to Abraham. So uh, we're going to look at the story of Abram tonight. Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11. So our, our newscast friends here helped fill in some of the gaps. We left last week at Genesis chapter 3. And they kind of filled in the gaps with some of the stories that took place between uh, last week and what we're studying tonight. Genesis chapter 11, we're going to start at verse 31. Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son, Abram's wife, and they both went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord said to Abram, 
Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land of, to the place at Shechem to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. This is the word of the Lord. Understanding some key concepts about the land and the language and the culture of this story really helps shed some light on, uh, on this journey of Abram. So Stacey's going to come up and share some of those things with us for a while tonight. Hi. How are you guys doing? Did anyone else notice how much younger we looked in that picture? I was looking at that tonight, and it was the first time I was like, whoa, we don't look like that anymore. That was kind of weird. But I'm really excited to be with you guys tonight. If you don't know me, I'm Stacy, married to Ben, and we're really excited to share with you. And if you also might not know this about me, but I really like maps. So you got one when you came in the room. Um, this is a map that you get to keep. For the rest of the semester, I would encourage you to keep it in your Bible. Keep it somewhere near you when you start to do your weekly reading. And if you can, bring it to the well, because it will be good to have it handy. We're going to look at a little bit of it um, in a few minutes. But this should help you for the rest of the semester find your way around the story um, as we walk through it. So tonight, I want to start by talking a little bit about the land and the geography of the story of Abram, because I think his obedience in this story is absolutely incredible. Just at face value when you read it, it's incredible. But when you look a little deeper and start to figure out what exactly this meant for him and what exactly he did, um, it kind of blows your mind. So we're going to look at a few things. Um, the first thing I want to talk to you about is this question I have rolling in my mind of why did God send Abram to Canaan? Why to this place? Why specifically here? So that's the first thing that we're going to look at. And to do that, I want to show you um, just a few maps. So I think this is working. Oh, yeah, let's do this. Okay, so I want to introduce a concept to you. Some of you have heard this before, so forgive me if it's repetition. But... A lot of scholars and study refer to the land of Israel or the land of Canaan, which it's called before Israel kind of occupies the land, um, refer to it as the land between. Everyone say the land between. Not because you can't say English words, just because it's helpful to remember the concept of the land between. So I want to show you why. This is a modern map of the Middle East, and you can, I don't know if you can see from far away, but this little tiny part right here is the land of Israel and Palestine, current, modern day. 
Okay, so here is a picture of the ancient world, and the little circle in the middle of the map is Canaan. Okay, so this is the place where God's sending Abram. But why is it called the land between? This is an ancient map that's been discovered through archaeology and study, and Jerusalem is this little circle right in the middle of this map. And you've got Europe and Asia and Africa, and Jer Jerusalem's right at the center. Jerusalem was seen at the time in the ancient world as the center of the world. It's very interesting. Part of that reason is, this is now zoomed in to the land of Israel, or Canaan, is that there was a major highway that ran right through the middle of it, connecting all the surrounding lands. Okay, so on this map, you've got Egypt down here and a bunch of other big kingdoms up here, which I'll show you in a minute. And this tiny little piece of land holds the highway that connects them all together. Everybody had to pass through this land. So if you're trying to trade from one major empire to another, you had to go right through this tiny little strip of land. If you were maybe Egypt down here in the south and you wanted to conquer big kingdoms up here, guess where your entire army had to follow through this little highway through this tiny little strip of land? Everybody passed through. And so there were benefits to controlling it, as you can imagine. Everybody wanted to control it, right? So if you controlled this little piece of land, you could charge taxes or tariffs as people went through. As people brought trade through, you could collect a little portion. Um, militarily, you wanted to control it because you controlled then who goes where and who conquers who and how people get around. There were lots of reasons that people wanted to control this tiny little strip of land, but one of the most important reasons that was is that everybody passed through. Everybody went through this land. Here are the major empires. So you've got Egypt down here in the south. Sometimes Egypt would control the land and they would push up. Other times, these other big kingdoms in the north, up here we call this Mesopotamia, they would come down and conquer Egypt and push Egypt back. So they were always fighting all throughout history, fighting over this tiny piece of land that we call the land between because it, it was such a valuable thing to control. And isn't it interesting that even today, it's still being fought over. It just goes on and on and on. This tiny little piece of land, by the way, the size of New Jersey tiny, okay, but it's just a hot commodity, and it always has been. Why did God want to put his story here? Why in the land between? I think God put his story here because he wanted to put his story in the middle of the middle of the middle of everything, in the place where everyone would pass through, where everyone would see his people's story unfold, where everyone would see their obedience, where everyone would experience his love and his faithfulness. God asked Abram to go to Canaan because he wanted to put his people right in the middle of everything. Does that make sense? It's kind of amazing, actually. So that's sort of the answer to why Canaan. It's the land between, the place where everybody wants to be and the place the whole world is going to watch the story unfold. So what I want to do now is I want to talk a little bit about Abram's journey because I think his obedience to this place is actually pretty incredible too. So I want to show you another map. This is actually the journey of Abram, right? He starts in Ur, goes to Haran, and then down into the land of Canaan. So here's what I want to do. Go back to your Bible. Look at Genesis 11, verse 31. I just want to show you three things that are really interesting. 
Verse 31, so Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Very interesting. From Ur to Haran is about 630 miles. No cars, like no trains, no buses, no airplanes. Abram sets out with his entire family, and he starts to walk. 630, has anyone ever walked 630 miles? It's really far, right? Today, an excellent hiker can maybe cover 20 miles a day, right, something like that. So this first journey, let's say they did that in 20 miles a day, would take about 31 and a half days. Okay, that's interesting. Go back to your Bible, Genesis 12, look at verse 4. So Abram left as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old. Wait, he's going to walk 630 miles, he's 75 years old? That's very interesting. Let's keep going. He was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. Okay, so we don't know how old he was with the first leg. But now he's going to leave Haran and head into Canaan. He's 75 years old. Um, he took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated. So they have a lot of people and a lot of stuff with them now, which means animals, herds and flocks and all kinds of possessions. And they set out for the land of Canaan and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moray at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. So, 75 years old, he leaves from Haran, he heads all the way down here into Canaan to Shechem, which you also have on your map, if you can find it. From Haran to Shechem, 75 years old with all his herds and flocks, 400 miles. Okay, this is another very long journey. Let's keep going. Genesis 12, look for verse 8. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord, and God called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. Okay, the Negev is way down here. You can see it on your map as well. It's actually the desert in southern Israel. So from Shechem down to Beersheba is another hundred-ish miles. Okay, now remember, this total journey now is about 1,200 miles. Eventually, actually, soon after this, he goes down into Egypt as well because there's a famine. So this is a lot of traveling. We asked our professor one day in Jerusalem, how fast do you think they would have been going? I mean, if we're hiking and we're covering 20 miles a day, this is a pretty long trip. But if they're older and they have all these people with them, how fast were they going? And his answer is so awesome. They were going as fast as his sheep would graze. That's how fast. I don't know what this does for you, but for me, this makes the obedience of Abram come alive. Because this is quite a journey. Quite a journey. Nothing I've ever done comes close to this. So God is asking a lot of Abram, and he does it. Okay, so this is what I want you to do. Turn back to the person you were talking to at the beginning. And I want you to read Genesis 12, 1 through 3 those three verses, and ask the question, what did God ask Abram to leave behind, and why is that a big deal? Right, go ahead and ask that. What is he asking Abram to leave behind, and why is that a big deal?
got enough, enough time. Okay, hopefully you've had enough time to kind of discuss it, to read it, and ask the question, what was God asking Abram to leave behind, and why is that a big deal? So somebody tell me the things you found that he was going to leave behind or asking Abram to leave behind. Anyone? Be brave. Give me one. Yeah, Noel. Okay, so, yep, so leaving who you were with and where you were, is that what you were saying? Okay, good. What else? Yeah, right over here. Yeah, his culture, his identity, that's really good. Anyone else? Yeah. Your father's house, absolutely. In fact, the text in the, in the Hebrew actually translates to three things. So let me tell you what they are. Leave your land, leave your kindred or your relatives, meaning like your extended family, and leave your father's household. Those are the three things that, that translate directly from the Hebrew. Your land, your kindred or your extended family, and your father's household. In this culture, kind of like Noel said, this was leaving everything. Okay, now our culture doesn't really understand this. So I want to walk you through three of those things, okay? Because in the world of the Bible, everything revolved around two things, your land and your family everything. This is very different for us, right? It's not all about our land, and it's not all about our family, necessarily, where we end up and what we do. But in Abram's culture, this was everything. Okay, so let me tell you just a couple things about the land. This was maybe one of the most significant things in their society. If you were a shepherd or a farmer, the land was your well-being. Okay, I don't really depend on my backyard to eat my meals every day, right? Or to take care of my family, or to have sheep so that I can have wool and I can have clothing. Okay, we don't really function that way. But for this culture, the land was, your, was what sustained you. Okay, it was your well-being. The other thing is if you lived in a city, the land was your political identity. So not only was it like everything you needed to live, but it was also partly you wrapped up in your identity. We don't really understand this. I was thinking about this today. Ben and I have been married for seven years. We've lived in two countries, six houses, in two different states, and four cities. Okay? Like, we've been all over the place. This is very different in Abram's culture. They didn't do that. You stayed on your land because it was your identity and it sustained you. Hugely important. To leave your land was a huge deal. Family and inheritance. So the extended family was a really, really big deal. Right? Descendants meant that you were going to have identity, you were going to have an heir. You would always stay and care for your parents over time and throughout their lives. And when your parents were gone, you took over everything that they were doing. I was, I was thinking today, I wonder how many of you plan, you can show of hands, how many of you plan to move back into your parents' home and just stay there for the rest of your life when college is over? Anyone? I don't see any hands. All right? Yeah. So this is something that has changed drastically in our culture, very different from the time of Abram. You didn't leave your land and you did not leave your family. That's just how their culture worked. The third thing is the father's household. The man was identified in the ancient world as a member of his household. All of his identity, all of his security, all of his well-being, everything he put his 
hope and trust in was wrapped up in land and in family and in the father's household. When God asked Abraham to leave Ur and go to Canaan, he's not just asking him to take a 1,200-mile trip with all his sheep, because that's crazy. He's also asking him to leave every single thing that made him secure, every single thing that he knew to put his hope in, every single thing that determines his future. I would even say his past, his present, and his future. God says, leave all these things and follow me and just watch what I will do. This is what's happening when God calls Abram. And I don't know about you guys, but this blows me away. Because if you look at verse 4, just look at it, because it's worth looking at. God says all of these things, and then in verse 4, what does it say? So Abram went. He just went. Fascinating. I think Abram's story is here so that we can ask questions of our own story of the ways that we're trusting God or following God. I think the ways that Abram was called to follow God are the same ways that we're called to follow him. Maybe not to walk 1,200 miles with your sheep, but to trust God and to follow God with everything in your life that you know that makes you secure or you think that makes you secure. Everything you put your hope in, your past, your present, and your future. Now, here's the thing that I love about this. Abram didn't necessarily have this, okay? Abram didn't necessarily know where he was going. He didn't sit down. This is what we do when we make decisions. We all do this. We sit down and we make lists or we talk it over with our friends. Like, what are the pros? What are the cons? What's the benefits for me? What's the most comfortable? What has the most long-term promise for where I hope to be in 10 years? We don't have any record of Abram doing that. We just have God calling him and then Abram So the question for us tonight is, what does this story have to do with our story? And what kind of obedience is God calling you to? What is he asking of you? Is he asking you to leave something behind? Is he asking you to trust him with some unknown thing in your future that you are just anxious about or unsure of or worried about or trying to make happen? What is it in your life that God is saying, will you trust me? Will you follow me? Guess what? You don't even have to know where you're going. You don't even have to know. I know where you're going. All you have to do is decide to follow me one step at a time. As fast as your sheep will graze. One step at a time. So Abram did this. He followed God. And then God did some amazing things because of this. And Ben is going to come and share a little bit about what happens next. Genesis chapter 15. I love the story of Abram in Genesis 12, and I think this just helps bring it home. So what I'm going to do is we're going we're gonna to read this, this chapter together, but I'm just going to take it verse by verse for the first half here, and then we'll uh, go from there. So Genesis 15, verse 1. It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. 
Okay, so the text says after these things. But in Hebrew, it's, actually, it's literally after a very long time or after some time had passed. It's not just, oh, and then the next day. It was after a while, after some time had passed, then this, was, this is what takes place. Verse 2, Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Okay, so verse 2, then Abram's like, yeah, but, yeah, but God, and he starts, sort of starts to doubt a little bit. Yeah, but you promised that I'm supposed to be a great nation, but I don't even have a kid. Genesis chapter 12, you told me to go forth, and you said you're going to make me into a great nation. And I went, and I followed, and I trusted you, and now we're here, and now some time has passed. But I still don't have a kid. I think Abram might be starting to doubt a little bit, or starting to wrestle with God a little bit now that he's, some time has passed. Verse 4, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, this man shall not be your heir your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram, don't worry. I got this. You left your land and your family and I'm going to provide you family. Look at the stars. That's how many your offspring will be. I got this. Don't you worry. Uh, verse 6. And Abram believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. So Abram's like, okay, I believe you. And then the Lord is like, remember who I am. I am the Lord. Remember what I've done for you. I'm the one that brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans. I still have a plan for you. Uh, verse 8. Abram said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess this land? I feel like this is another, yeah, but God... How, how am I going to know that you're going to provide? How am I going to know that I can really trust you with this land? So God says, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you descendants, and I'm going to give you this land. Do you hear that? Genesis 12, leave your land, leave your family. Genesis 15, I promise I'm going to give you land, and I'm going to give you family. But how am I, how am I supposed to know that you're going to give me this land? Now let's read 9 through the rest of the chapter. And God said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. 
But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. So God told Abram that he would have land and descendants. And all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. Abram believes God, then maybe starts doubting God. And then believes God, then maybe starts doubting God. And then there's this strange story of them making some sort of covenant together. Isn't this story strange? I find this story to be strange. Uh, verse 18, it says, they made a covenant. In Hebrew, it's actually the word karat, which means to cut. So they don't make a covenant, they cut a covenant, and they're cutting a covenant because they're cutting animals open, okay? So uh, a covenant was cut because of, um, anyway, in ancient times, basically this is the way it would work. Show the next slide here. You would cut the animals in half from nose to tail, and you would set them on opposite ends. And then the blood would flow down into a trench, making... Uh, a, a blood trench, I guess, for lack of a better term, okay? Uh, and then the way this covenant worked is there were two parties involved with this covenant, okay? Two parties are making the covenant together. The lesser party would then walk through the blood of those animals. And as this person is walking through the blood of these animals, he's basically saying, if I don't hold up my end of the covenant... You can do this in my blood. So after the lesser party walks through, then the greater party would walk through the blood path. Basically saying, as, as the, the blood was splashing up on their robes, hey, if I don't hold up my end of the covenant, this is what you can do to me. This kind of uh, covenant ceremony is actually also mentioned in Jeremiah chapter 34. Uh, I'm going to read a couple of verses here. The men who transgressed my covenant and did not keep the terms of the covenant that they made before me, I will make them like the calf that they cut into and passed between the parts. Their dead bodies shall be food for the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. So Abram cuts these animals in half. And then what happens? Who's, whose move is supposed to be next? Abram. He's the lesser party. His, his next move is to walk through the blood path. And as a way for him to, he's supposed to be saying, God, I, I commit to being obedient to you all the days of my life. And if I don't hold up that end of the covenant, then this is what you can do to me. And as we read this story, Abram is trembling with fear. 
he knows that as soon as, he knows that there's no way he can keep this covenant. He knows that as soon as his toe dips in the blood, he's done. This is no like pinky swear thing here. This is a big deal. And we know that some time has passed because there's carcasses that are, or there's vultures that are coming on and trying to eat up the carcasses. I think some more time has passed. Okay, Abram cuts them up and now he's like, oh man, well, I can't do it. Because I know that there's no way I can hold up my end of the covenant. Verse 17. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. Over and over and over and over again throughout the Old Testament, God's presence is exemplified through smoke or fire. We got the story of the burning bush coming up in Exodus chapter 3. We got the, the Israelites wandering through the wilderness, and there's a pillar of cloud, pillar of fire that's leading the Israelites. Over and over and over again throughout the Old Testament, God is represented, his presence is represented through smoke and or fire. And behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. So God, God's presence actually passed between the pieces twice. God himself walked through the blood path. Abram, I know that there's no way you can hold up your end of the covenant. But when, not if, when you fall short of your end of the covenant, it's my blood. And 2,000 years later, there's this guy named Jesus. For when we are not able to hold up our end of the covenant, it's his blood. Isn't that awesome? I don't think this story is just a foreshadowing of of Jesus to come in 2,000 years. God is a God who has always been. He is the same. He never changes. His love for us never fails. His covenant is true. His promises are true. His words are trustworthy. He's the same God. It's not God of the Old Testament and then the God of the New Testament. It's the same God with the same kind of love who's willing to walk through the blood path on our behalf and willing to shed his blood on our behalf. Genesis chapter 12, God told Abram to leave his land and his family and go to an unknown place. So Abram went in faith, trusting God's plan every single step of the way. And after a while, he starts to wonder, am I on the right path? Did I hear you right? Are you really going to come through with your promises? I don't even have a kid yet. I'm over 75 now. Are you sure? God's like, oh yeah, I'm sure. 
Let me show you how sure I am. My promises will not return void. Abram believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. He went as the Lord had told him. And then the rest of the story of Genesis is the story of a God who fulfills this promise. Abraham, Abram eventually becomes Abraham. God changes his name. Abram actually means high father, and then Abraham means father of many or father of a multitude. And then there's this miraculous story of Abraham having his son Isaac, and then Isaac having his son Jacob, and then Jacob eventually having 12 sons who, who become the nation of Israel, and they spread like wildfire, and they, uh, the nation of Israel is born. This is the rest of the story of Genesis. God made a promise and he fulfills it through Abraham. Sometimes I wonder who or how many other people God might have tapped on the shoulder before he found one like Abram who was willing to go. The story doesn't tell us that that's what took place, but sometimes I wonder that. Did God tap other people and say, hey, I want to make a great nation out of you, and they're like, nah, I'm going to stay here. Where might God be calling you to go? What might God be calling you to do? What could you be doing this week to take an actual big leap of faith? Whether it's a leap of faith or a step of faith in the classroom, with a relationship with your family, really trusting God with your finances or the unknown future, or that job that you really hoped or didn't get. I know how devastating some of those things can be. But the story of Abram reminds me that it's worth taking these steps of faith. And we can take these steps of faith because God is not going to hold back on his promises. And his words are true and his words are are trustworthy. I sort of feel like the summary of these two chapters is Genesis 12, God saying, go, walk, follow, trust. It's kind of what God asks of us. And then Genesis 15 is, is his provision and the result of him saying, no, I'm going to fulfill my promises. What might God be asking you to do this week to take a step of faith. Pray with me. God, we give you thanks for the story of Abram and for his faith journey, for the ways that he heard your voice and decided, yeah, I'm going to go. I'm going to leave my comfort. I'm going to leave my security. I'm going to leave my land. I'm going to leave my family. I'm going to leave my identity. I'm going to leave everything that's important to me. I'm going to walk with you, and I'm going to take steps with you, and I'm going to trust you and your voice every single step along the way. I pray that you will help me. I pray that you'll help us know how to do that this week. Give us the courage to go, to step out in faith knowing that you are the foundation behind these steps of faith.
and that we can really trust you. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. We guys stand and we can respond to God's word and his promises and his faithfulness together. Yeah.